Good morning. Well, for the past number of weeks, we've been journeying through Romans, and today we find ourselves in the very beginning. So follow along with me as I read from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you are also among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness in how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Good morning, everybody. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying good morning. My name is uh, Eddie Bang. I'm the newest pastor on staff here. And uh, I just want to thank you personally for welcoming me and my family so warmly these past few weeks. It's actually been such a great pleasure to be a part of the church so far. And uh, is, that, is that a funny thing? I didn't realize that that was going to be a funny thing. I was trying to compliment you, but then... Uh, but I mean... Every single moment. There hasn't been a negative moment so far. It's been absolutely wonderful. I didn't realize that you guys were so nice, you know, when I decided to come here. It really is true. And not only are you so nice, but you guys are tough. I think they make them tougher in the Hawkesbury. You know, I went to a few meetings so far, and I remember it was like, you know, six, seven degrees at night. But then someone came in shorts. 
And I was like, oh my goodness, you know? And I, I was telling my wife this morning, I think we're like, we're like, I think I'm the only guy in this church that wears a puffy jacket to church, right? Because everyone's so tough. You know, I'm a little bit uh, weaker. You know, that's just who I am. So please forgive me for that. Also, forgive me because I've never made slides before, but I, I was told I need to make slides. I've never used a clicker, so I hope I remain on time. You know, maybe you could pray for me for that. But um, people have been asking me, Eddie, what do you do here? What are you going to do here? And um, there are things that I've been assigned to do. But really, my heart is I would love to just sit down with you. I would love to hear your story. And I would just see and try to find a way that I can help you. If there's a way that I could help you grow in your walk with Christ or take the next step in your faith journey with Christ, I'd love to do that. And so I'd love to have a coffee with you. I'd love to meet up with you. I'd love to learn from you. I'd love to grow with you. And if you'd like to do that, please email me, message me, say hello to me, make an appointment with me. I'd love to do it as quickly as possible. Is that cool? Is that, is that enough for you? Okay, anyway, uh, let's get to the sermon. Um, that's why I'm here. Let's get to the sermon. As the pastors have said in the past, you know, Romans is a daunting book. It really is. And I'm so thankful that they decided to tackle this amazing book. And I know they said in the past that chapters 1 to 8, really the bulk of the teaching lies in chapters 1 through 8. And the beauty of chapters 9 through 16 is that what we see in 9 through 16 is the teaching lived out in the lives of believers and in the church. And you guys already covered chapters 9 to 16. So you guys have already seen and you guys have already learned how the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like in the lives of believers and in the church. And if I can sum it up, let me just say it like this. Faith in Christ saves us to become a community of peace, right? We've seen that so often. It saves us to become this spiritual family of peace that continually reaches across racial lines, socioeconomic lines, as well as cultural barriers, so that we can live in unity, not only with other believers, but with non-believers outside the church as well. This is the fruit of the gospel alive within us, isn't it? Um, can I tell you right from the beginning that I absolutely love that you guys are doing this reading Romans backwards thing, right? And, and the real reason is not because it's cool, but the real reason is because when I studied Romans chapter 1 to preach it to you guys today, I realized that all the heavy lifting has already been done. Right, uh, you, The bulk of the heaviness of this teaching has already been taught. And so I'm just going to kind of review it today. And so what I feel inside is, is how a person feels when he goes out to mow this huge lawn. But when he, when he goes outside, he's realized someone's already done it. And I can now just go and whippersnapper the edges. Right? That's how I feel right now. Uh, but that's a little bit of an exaggeration because the teaching is actually super huge. It's super important. You know, these teachings in the next eight chapters will serve to clarify, it'll serve to correct, and it's going to serve to solidify truths with a capital T, eternal truths that will not only transform your life, but truly transform the life of the church. And that's what we're about, aren't we? So let's get to it. Um, what is the main point of today's message? I know that you guys always uh, start out every one of your sermons with the big idea, is that right? Um, I kind of orchestrated my sermon so that the big idea comes in the end. Is that okay? Yeah. 
it has to be because that's the way I orchestrated it. So, you know, even if it's not okay, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so what I'll do is I'll go over the text with you guys, and then I'll highlight a few uh, concepts or points from the text. We'll hit the big idea, and then I'll share with you an application. That's how our sermon's going to go today, okay? And pray that I'm on board with this thing. So um, here we go. Let's start. You know, once again, Romans is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. I mean, he's never been there. They've never met him. So writing this letter to introduce himself is a very, very smart thing to do, right? There are three actually components to Romans 1, 1 through 17. The first is the introduction, which makes total sense. The second part of the letter or the introduction, the beginning of this section here, is Paul telling this church how he longs to see them, which is always a good thing to do in a letter. And then he ends this letter with what I think is the theme of the book of Romans, this huge, huge, huge statement. So let's look at this, these sections briefly together. Let's look at the introduction. The introduction can be found in verses 1 to 7. And in these verses, Paul is introducing himself to the church in Rome. Now, has anyone here ever uh, written an introduction about themselves, maybe in a letter or a bio of some kind, maybe for your work or profile or something like that? Anyone? Yeah, so, so good. I recently had to write a bio about myself for the WDBC website. Has anyone seen that bio on the website? No? Yeah, some of you? Well, yeah, and it was a very weird thing to do. First of all, uh, Janelle, if you're here, thank you so much for the flattering photo on the website. If you look at the, I'm, I'm on there, I'm just so proud to be on a website. Anyway, um, it was a very daunting task to write a bio about yourself. Like, what do you write about? You know, and so the question that I had to answer was, what do I think the people at WDBC want to know about me? And so that kind of led my bio, and I kind of wrote things that I was interested in, my passions, you know, so I wrote about my background, I wrote about my family, these are these things, and if you read it, you'll be like, oh, that that's Eddie Bang right there. And it makes total sense, doesn't it? Because that's what I want you to know about me. Now, what's really interesting about Paul's introduction here is that he takes seven verses to introduce, quote-unquote, himself. And what's very interesting about this introduction is that all he talks about about himself personally is that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. That's all he says. And then for the next, like, six or seven verses, the rest of the introduction is not about him. But he talks about the person that he serves, Jesus Christ. And I made a list of all the things that he writes about Jesus, right? And he says Jesus is the promise, the promise of the Old Testament. Jesus is from the line of David. Jesus is the one that has been appointed to be the son of God in power by the Holy Spirit through the resurrection. Jesus brought grace. Jesus brings faith. Jesus adopts us into his family. Jesus adores us. And Jesus gifts us with the call to live for his glory. It's all about Jesus. Just thank you for tracking with me. It's all about Jesus. And I know some of you are, you're looking at this, this slide here, and you're, maybe you're thinking to yourself, wow, this, this Apostle Paul guy, he's awesome, isn't he? He's so cool. He's seriously all about Jesus, and that's so inspiring. And that is true. But when I first read this passage, I'll be a little bit honest with you, I kind of thought, oh, man, that's a little bit too much. Paul, you're a little bit too much. You know, I mean, who writes an introduction about themselves 
talking about another person. Who does that? You know? But that's what Paul does here. And I was kind of like, wow, Paul, you know, man, you, you got some issues. Because right? we're supposed to try to get to know who you are. But this is the Apostle Paul so that we know, so we know that he doesn't have any issues whatsoever. So the question is why? Why does Paul write an introduction about Jesus Christ when, it's supposed to, when he's supposed to be introducing himself to this church that he's never met? And here's the answer. The only rational conclusion that I can come to is that Jesus Christ must have touched and transformed Paul's life so profoundly that he can now only see himself in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ has done. Do you guys get that? Jesus must have touched and transformed his life so profoundly that he can now only see himself in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Isn't that beautiful? It is. Here's a question that I want to ask you as we begin our talk today. Maybe two questions that I want to ask is these. How much has Christ transformed the way you look at yourself and your own life? Right? And how much has Christ monopolized your gaze? What I'm learning more and more, especially as I read and study Romans chapter 1, is that what I thought was too much about Paul needs to be a lot more in me. And maybe in a lot of us. You know what I'm saying? Because isn't that what a Christian's supposed to be? You know, isn't a Christian supposed to be someone who is so touched and transformed so comprehensively by the gospel of Jesus and by who Jesus is that we now only see ourselves in light of Christ? Paul goes on to describe this a little bit more in detail in verses 1 to 7. There are two words that Paul uh, uses over and over again, two phrases that Paul chooses to use over and over again in verses 1 to 7 to describe a believer. And here they are. I made this list for you. Um, the words are being called and to be holy or set apart. So let's, there's five times he uses these words. First is he says that he is called to be an apostle. Now, none of us are called to be apostles. These are people who saw Jesus, who Jesus personally called himself. You know, right? That's not us. But what I can take away from that is all of us are called to serve Christ with our lives. Right? Verse 1 also says that all of us are set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we are to orient our whole lives, set apart for this purpose, the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, we are all given the charge to call other people into faith. We are all called to belong to Christ, which is an affectionate term, isn't it? It's beautiful that Christ embraces us and now he calls us his children. Verse 7, we are all called to be holy and set apart. We're called to reflect his character through us into this world. It's a beautiful, beautiful list. But why is this list so important for us to know? Well, today we define what a Christian is. How, if you were to define what a Christian is, I think I would naturally just say a Christian is someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, right? Makes sense. That's a great definition, and it's absolutely true. It's absolutely correct. A Christian is someone who has put their faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation. But what we realize here in chapter one is that Paul is not talking about like the definition of a Christian, what he's talking about is what a Christian person feels like and looks like in real life, you know? And what he's saying simply is that a Christian is someone who is so comprehensively captivated and enamored by Jesus that his greatest honor every single day when he wakes up is to be like Christ, which is holy, 
and to call other people to follow Christ as well, which is our calling. Do you guys get that? And if you understand that, then you understand the rest of the passage. The rest of the passage is actually totally easy to understand. We go on to verses 8 to 13. And in verses 8 to 13, all Paul does is he celebrates how the gospel of Jesus Christ is already at work captivating people in Rome. And he celebrates that. And then he says, because that's true, I cannot wait to go there and to share more with you about Jesus. There's three reasons why he wants to go to Rome he can't wait to give them more of Christ, and we assume that's through his teachings, right? He can't wait, and, and through spiritual gifts that he wants to share with the church in Rome. Secondly, he can't wait to mutually encourage one another through holiness, praying with each other, sharing and challenging each other, you know, singing with one another. He can't wait to see even more people come to know Jesus as he preaches the gospel. So he can't wait because what he's doing right now in verses 8 to, 8 to 13 is he celebrating the gospel which is already at work, captivating people in Rome, and that will captivate people in Rome in the future. And then, if you'll allow me, I'm just going to move on to verses 14 and 17. He ends this beginning section with verses 14 to 17. And I'll be honest with you, uh, verses 14 to 17, each one of these verses, they deserve their own sermon. It's that big. you know. But that's all outside of the scope of today's sermon. So if you'll just allow me, I'm just going to highlight a few of the concepts that I really believe that God is sharing with us, or maybe more honestly, uh, that God wants to share with us, or that God's really touched my heart through as I prepared this message with you. And so let's start at verse 14. Verse 14 says, uh, Paul says, he is obligated. I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, and once again, we said in the past that Greeks are, and non-Greeks is addressing race, right? There are the Greek race, and then there's everybody else that's not Greek. That's like all of humanity, okay? And then he's also addressing the wise and the foolish. And we talked about in the past how the wise are those who fear God and the foolish are those who don't. And so that's basically everybody. And so what Paul is saying here is that I am obligated to preach the good news to all of humanity, which is a huge statement, and there's so much to unpack there. But that's outside the scope, once again, of this sermon. But the key word, so the key word that I'd like to highlight here is the word obligated. And that's why it's in yellow or orange or however it looks like, right? Um, that's a curious word, isn't it? Obligated? How do you feel when you says, hey, Christians should be obligated? It doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't. We'll get to that in a second. But I decided to look up this word obligated because I didn't like it. Um, I decided to look up this word obligated in the dictionary, and it came, it came up with two definitions. Um, it means two things. Number one, it's a course of action to which one is morally or legally bound, right? I'm obligated. And secondly, it's also being indebted to someone out of gratefulness. And um, when Paul uses the word obligated, I'm obligated to preach, I, I honestly think he's using both. When he says it, he's actually encompassing both. Paul is so grateful for how Christ has touched and changed his life that he has bound himself to live every single day to make sure other people can enjoy Jesus Christ just as much as he does. Do you guys get that? 
That's what he's talking about here. I'm obligated for that. And if we understand that kind of obligation, that kind of obligation is pretty beautiful, isn't it? Right? Now, obligation is not a very popular word that we, we would want to use to describe the Christian life. It really isn't. It makes me feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel burdensome. It almost feels legalistic. Don't like it. But if we understand, once again, obligation the way Paul is using it here, it can really be beautiful. It really, really can. And I think once we realize that, hopefully we come to the conclusion that obligation must become an integral component of our faith practiced today. How do we understand that then, this word obligation? Well, the closest example that I could think of is parenting or becoming a parent. And so um, I know some of us may not have experienced that, so I apologize for us who may not. But uh, anyone here who's been a parent or who is a parent absolutely understands, I think, this word obligation in the same sense that Paul does. Right? And this is what I mean. Um, the moment I held my newborn child for the first time, game over. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I was obligated. I was done. I was wrecked, right? I took one look into my kid's eyes, and I was so captured. I was so captivated and enamored immediately, in an instant, that I knew that my whole being would now be dedicated to this child. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know how, you know what, that's what it is. I was obligated, maybe in the most beautiful way we can understand. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Obligation can be that beautiful. Even though he's never met the church in Rome, he's never met these people, he has already obligated himself to them. Why? Because he understands how much God loves them. And not only that, but he understands that these people are made in the image of the one that he has already been captivated by. He's obligated. And that's why he describes himself as a servant of Christ in verse 1. It is out of the deepest gratitude that he joyfully obligates himself to Christ and to others. You guys get that? Man, if Christians today could only feel as obligated to one another, unity could happen a lot quicker in the church, wouldn't you say? If people, if Christians today could only feel that obligated towards non-believers outside the church, revival could happen a lot faster, wouldn't you say? Obligation is a necessary component of love. You know, it's absolutely necessary. And if we truly love God, we must obligate ourselves to live lives that are set apart and holy for him. If we truly love God, then we as believers must obligate ourselves to one another. And we must consider it our duty to live as a community of peace and in unity. Amen? I know it's uncomfortable, right? But that's what... That's what it is. We need to be obligated. Lastly, we come across possibly the main verse or the main theme of Romans in verses 16 and 17. And in these two verses, Paul is not only sharing the reason for his obligation and eagerness, but he's also giving us insight on how we can have that more within our lives as well. Verse 16, 
says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What is he saying in these verses? What he's saying is this. He's saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Of God. Let me write that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Just think about that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. What does that mean practically? What does that look like practically? Very, very simple. Every single time you think about the gospel, every single time you meditate upon the gospel in your life, every single time you preach the gospel, every single time you intentionally live out the gospel within your life, do you know what happens? The power of God gets released to bring people to faith. That's huge. That's why it makes sense, doesn't it, that when we preach the gospel, people come to faith. When you share your testimony at a baptism or something like that, people all of a sudden believe in Jesus Christ. When you love people generously without reason, when you turn the other cheek, when you reach across political lines... In order to reconcile and to unify with other believers in the church, people come to faith. Why is that? The reason why that is is because the power of God is at work in the gospel whenever we choose to live it out within our lives. Do you guys, isn't that amazing? That's what this verse is saying. The gospel is the power of God to bring people to faith. Secondly, it says that the gospel is God Revealing his righteousness to people. What does that mean once again? Very simply, it means that every single time you preach the gospel, every single time you meditate upon the gospel, every single time you celebrate the gospel and live out the gospel intentionally within your life, God's righteousness gets revealed to those people that bring them to faith. In a way that brings them to faith. Isn't that amazing? So to sum it up, whenever you move intentionally, in the gospel. Not only does the power of God get released, but his righteousness gets revealed into those environments so that people will come to faith. Isn't that amazing? How important is the gospel? How important is it that we orient all of our lives according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have the gospel of Jesus Christ driving everything that we do. It's absolutely paramount. Why? Because it has the power to change lives. It has the power to change society. It has the power to change nations. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And that's why he's so excited. Right? This is what happens when you and I make the gospel central in all that we do. This is what happens when you, guys, when you and I choose to, make, to be holy and to live holy and called within our lives. This is what happens when we keep Christ at the center of our gaze. Why? Because this is what God says he's going to do through people who live out the gospel. It's huge. If we did that, uh, my guess is that our church's vision of transformation would happen, happen a little more quickly. Not only in here, and not only in the Hawkesbury area, but here we go. Just like Chris was talking about, maybe most importantly in us, right? And here's where I'd like to help any of you who might be finding it challenging personally 
to, to get as excited as Paul is about the gospel. Um, and that insight is found here at the beginning of the verse where he says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Now, once again, those words, not ashamed, it's a very curious wording, wouldn't you say? I mean, if you're totally captivated by Jesus, if you're totally excited about Jesus, why don't you just write, I'm totally captivated by Jesus and the gospel of Christ, right? Why don't you just write, I'm totally excited about it and it's so awesome? But he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to use two negatives, not ashamed. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because he's saying this. He's saying to live a gospel-centric life, to live a a gospel-driven, Jesus-centric life in our world today is not going to be a popular move. Nor will it be easy to continue to live up or or to keep up in your life, right? To be a Christian and to live live for God will invite uh, temptations, hostility, and persecution into our lives. And that can be a real fearful thought for a lot of us. Right, if not all of us. I know Christians who are so fearful that they even choose not to live for Jesus because it's so hard. But he tells us to not be ashamed because he's declaring that when we remain comprehensively captivated and enamored by Jesus Christ, right, we will be convinced that what he wants to do in and through us will far outweigh any of the fears or the hostility we may face in this world. Right? Did you guys get that? Did I just yell too much? Right? Am I yelling too much, period? What he's declaring is that we have, there's no way we can be ashamed because when we have our gaze firmly upon Jesus Christ, we'll be convinced every single day that what he wants to do in and through us will be far greater than any of the persecution we might ever face in this life, right? It's almost like he's saying, what you guys say is my shame, what you guys categorize as my shame, I actually consider it my prize. Why? Because I know that God wants to touch you with his power because I am convinced that he wants to reveal himself to you. And if I just stay the course, living faithfully for the gospel, I know that he is gonna increase all of our faith together, right? So much so that I'm willing to endure any persecution or any hostility for it. Why? So that you can know And so that you can trust in the one that has captivated my heart so comprehensively and to which I have, and to whom I have affectionately obligated my whole life to. Ashamed for what I know what God wants to do in you? Ashamed for what I know God will do if I simply stay the course? Impossible. How could anyone be ashamed of the things that God wants to do eternally in others? Let's put this all together. When we live for the gospel, God promises to move powerfully through us. He promises to reveal himself through us so that faith will grow, not just in others, but especially in us. And when we grow in faith, our natural response will be to obligate ourselves more boldly and profoundly to live holy and to live out his call. Do you guys get that? That's why this verse is so pivotal in all of Romans. Today in our message, we talked about how the grace of Jesus Christ can fundamentally transform the way we see ourselves in our lives as ones who are affectionately obligated to be like him 
and to live for him. But we also learned that God wants to reach all men, right? Through us living for the gospel, where his power is released and his righteousness is revealed so that faith can grow. Here's the bottom line, if you don't get anything else. Isn't it, are you, are, isn't it amazing, and I hope you're convinced, that God just wants to do so much through people who are willing to live for the gospel, you know? And hopefully he's challenging you and encouraging you to be that believer who lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's only one real way that's going to happen within us, and that's when we are continually captivated and continually enamored by Jesus Christ, right? Christians who are continually captivated and enamored by Jesus are the ones that stay absolutely convinced. So here is the big idea. Uh, I hope it's not the big letdown, but here's the big idea. Um, The gospel calls us to be continually captivated by Christ. Only then, only then will we be able to live lives of joyful obligation that release God's power and reveal God's righteousness so that faith can increase in everyone all around us. I want to end with just one application, and it's to the person that feels like this. Eddie, that's great and all. I'm actually totally convinced, but if I'm very honest with you, my heart is a little bit not as excited as Paul. You know, on a scale from 1 to 100, if Paul's 100, I'm kind of like a 30. I'm kind of like a 20. But I want it. I want to get there. But I'm not there yet. And so for those who might be there, uh, I hope this story helps, and then I'll close or I'll end. You know, there was a time when my heart, I was pastoring at the time, maybe like, you know, 15 years ago, and my heart was just, you know, like a three out of 100. Um, And I knew I was in a bad place. I wasn't excited for Jesus. I didn't want to go to church anymore. And that's bad as a pastor, okay? Um, But I, I knew I was in trouble. And so, you know, I did exactly what I think most Christians would do. I picked up my Bible, started to read, didn't work. I started praying like crazy, didn't really help. Um, I decided to go to church a little bit more. I went to a few morning prayers. It kind of didn't work. I started to talk to more Christians. You know, I, I, I sang the songs. I just did whatever I could, you know, spir- all the spiritual disciplines I threw at myself. But none of them seemed to, like, work. And then, so as a last resort, which should have been my first resort, which has now become my first resort, is I started sharing the gospel to myself. Have you guys ever done this? Shared the gospel to yourself? Are you like, are you serious, Eddie? You literally present the gospel to yourself? And I did, out loud. And if you've never done this, can I encourage you to do this? Not to become some kind of religious thing, but I started to present the gospel to myself. And exactly what does that look like, Eddie? Well, it was very simple. I literally said, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie, you do realize that you were created in God's image. But you sinned and you rebelled against God. And because of that, you deserve to go to hell for an eternity. And I sit there a really long time because if you don't know that you're in trouble, sometimes salvation is not really that great of a prize. And Eddie, you deserve to go to hell for an eternity because of your sin and rebellion. But out of God's absolute, unconditional, and undeserved love for you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross. And if you have faith in Christ, not only do all of your sins get placed upon Jesus, and he pays the penalty for all of your sins, 
But he then replaces your sins with his righteousness so that God can now only look at you as perfect from this point on. Perfectly loved, perfectly forgiven, perfectly accepted, and perfectly embraced forever into eternity. And I keep on telling that story over and over and over again until my heart once again breaks again in grace. And the reason why I literally present that story over and over and over again is because only the gospel is the power of God to bring about faith. Not just for the first time, but continually. And only in this good news story is God's righteousness revealed so that I might have faith, not just from the first day, but especially every single day from that point on to the last. And I don't know about you, but I want to make it to the finish line. But the thing is, I need real faith to get there. I need real faith to help me make it to the finish line. And if I can be real with you, all of us do. All of us need the gospel. All of us need the gospel and faith every single moment of every single day. Why? Because we only function right as Christians when we function in grace. So, don't ever let the gospel story become vanilla in your life. Because Jesus Christ was sent and given to us so that we might be captivated by him forever. Let's pray. Can I just uh, give a challenge? I, I just want you to sit just for a second. Maybe you're in that place where you just want more of Christ and you're convinced about all these teachings, but maybe your heart's not there yet. Maybe you just want to share the gospel to yourself. That's okay. Maybe you just want to ask God to you know, fill you with this Holy Spirit to help you once again be overwhelmed by grace. Let's take a moment to do so, okay? I'll just give you a few seconds to pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much that you are so good. Father, we know that the Christian life is so difficult. It's not just difficult because there's things like hostility or persecution. It's just difficult to live a life that's centered upon Christ and to constantly be reminded of not only who we are in light of all that Christ has done, but all the things that you want to do through us and the way you want to change people around us. So God, can you help us? Please help us be reminded of how valuable Christ really is and of your heart and desires for your people so that we might every single day be captivated by Jesus, so that every single day we'll be joyfully obligated to live for your glory. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>